This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's best, if only, hockey podcast, and the Stanley Cup playoffs are over. The hockey season is at an end, and I think we can all agree that the playoffs until probably the very end were a roller coaster of emotions for all parties involved. And we're going to give you sort of a holistic view of the playoffs as it drifts into the rearview mirror. Uh, But first, I want to know how my puck pals are doing. So tonight, we're going to start with Lou. Lou, put simply, what's popping? Uh... Thankfully, this show, because Nick, I don't know if you've been checking the score of the Yankee game, but they are down nine to one to the Boston Red Sox. What do you mean? 13 to one. Is it 30? I mean, I haven't been watching. I left after the Grand Slam, so I guess it's worse. Awesome. Thanks for letting me know that. You're welcome. Um, So, yeah, I'm really really happy to be doing anything but watching that game. So to be here with you guys, two of my, my great friends at the station, talk some puck. Sad the season's over, but like, hey, great to be here. Uh, you know, the Mets are winning right now. So, I mean, like, that's pretty cool. But I'm I'm still happy to be here with you guys, even though my baseball team's winning at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to coin. I hope you didn't coin puck pals, Nick, because I'm going to take that and bring it to the cleaner because that is all yours. All me. Oh, all yours. you shouldn't have. I'm going to take that and run with it because this has been a fun season of podcasting and talking puck and beat reporting and watching playoff hockey uh it's hard to say that it's already coming to an end but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting up all all the uh good things that happened this year uh, so, i don't know if we could go here now but like we might we might be the most fun podcast at the station i know we've oh, said yeah. this off air but i i think it's time to put it on the airwaves like i think it's us and it's not it's not close right no, it, it, it's not particularly close no, no, nothing is forced. Everything is everything is natural. We have a good time, but also we bring insight that frankly no one else can bring. So You're so in true. tune with the game, you know. So it's, in tune. Special is what it is. It's, it's yeah, all of all of us are former NHL players, so we know what we're talking <laughs> about. Um, before we get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, we have to do a little bit of local housekeeping. I would like to start, Mr. Lou Orlando, with a change behind the bench for the New York Rangers. Uh, President and General Manager Chris Drury announced that the team has named Peter Laviolette as the 37th coach in New York Rangers history. Just a little background on Laviolette. In his career, he played 12 NHL games with the Rangers during the 1988 to 1989 season. I think I called. Uh, But he did spend most of his uh, his career playing in the AHL and international leagues. But coaching-wise, his record is 752. 503, 25, and 150. That is wins, loss, ties, and overtime losses because ties happened. And uh, that's in 1,430 games. He was the head coach for the Islanders for a while, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Flyers, the Predators, and Capitals. So he has been everywhere. Lou, I'm going to start with you. What can we expect from Laviolette? Uh, I think... More of the same. It was it was kind of really fun. I got at the Met game. I got to catch up with uh, Joe Pantorno, who's an Islanders beat reporter, works for AM AM Sports or AM New York, something like that. 
uh, great guy, love him. And he kind of said the same thing that I said last week where I was like, all the coaching moves feel like lateral moves. And that's what Laviolette is. He said it's a lateral move. The other fun thing that I think he said is it's basically Gallant with a shorter fuse. And I think <laughs> I think I'm game for, for both of those comps. Listen, uh, all, all that being said, like I don't think Ranger fans are super excited right now. But I think the Rangers got the best available guy. I don't think it's crazy to say that either. I think it became very clear. Gallant was not going to be the guy. His issues with Drury, his issues with a lot of the guys in the locker room got to a point where it just wasn't reasonable to bring him back. It didn't make a lot of sense. And at that point, you were kind of hoping the coaching market opened up, right? You were hoping Sullivan broke free. You were hoping that Keith broke free or something like that. And it just didn't happen. And I think you look at the guys that were really talked about, and I think it kind of came down to Laviolette and Hines. And at that point, in my mind, it's a no-brainer. Hey, at least Laviolette's got that experience. Took three different teams to a Stanley Cup. I think that's got to count for something. It's... It's, I think it's more of the same, right? He's not crazy good at five on five. He's not, doesn't have a ton of experience playing young guys. So it's, right. you're kind of in the same boat, but with less baggage. And might I say he's very familiar with who his opponents will be, having coached half of the Metropolitan Division before this. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> and look, as, as far as track records go for available coaches, I mean, it's, it was Peter Laviolette and everyone else, yeah? So you can't you can't say that the Rangers didn't go out and try to make something of a splash with this coaching change. And at the same time, you look at Gallant's record. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. It's an Eastern Conference Finals appearance and back to back 106, 107 point seasons or, or thereabouts for the average across two years. And th that's a pretty high standard to be letting your coach go. So to have gotten a lateral move from Gallant makes it seem like, well, they don't want to make too big of a change, but you also want to be able to have that winning pedigree that, you know, Laviolette was able to capture with the Hurricanes and then almost recapture with Philly and Nashville in 2010 to 2017. So you have some you have some backbone here in this coach who you know can get it done before, and you already have the similarities in style and personnel, might I say, because there's not going to be a great amount of turnover on this team. You should expect to be just as competitive, if not more, than you were last year. So to have those expectations on you with a coach who can handle those expectations, I think is as good a fit as they were going to find in this offseason. Yeah. It, like it says more about the NHL, right? But like how many coaches do you really get excited about? Like, like the top tier of coaching in the NHL, I think is a lot slimmer than in the other three leagues. And so and, I think, mean, right. You kind of get to a point where it's this Rangers team is too good. Think about all the vibes that, and th all the discussions that people had about Glant and how good the Rangers were for the last two years, give or take. I know they lost in the first round to the Devils, but they've been one of the best teams in the NHL the last two years. I don't think it's super crazy to say that. So you look at that success, and it's like, yeah, I think Laviolette slides in, and you have the same expectations of that same success, maybe a little bit more. And, you know, I think you bring up a good point about coaches, you know, not exciting everybody. We're getting into this habit now where coaches are just being recycled. Uh, yeah. Like b below the the top tier of your Jared Bednar's, your John Cooper's, your Brindamore's, underneath that you have your Peter Laviolette's and your Gerard Gallant's and your John Hines's who are now becoming disposable to the point where, well, their styles are nearly indistinguishable. And, you know, for a team like the Rangers that has been consistently good now for a couple of years, you don't expect, you don't really need the style to be that indistinguishable. But for a team that is more up and down, like, I mean, just because we've talked about them recently, I'll say the Predators, you kind of Very want drugs. them to have a bigger splash with someone coming in. 
So while I think Laviolette might be a good fit for a team like New York right now, a team that's still searching like Nashville is going to really need to see uh, some sparks in in the dressing room. Yeah, and just as you mentioned, there are quite a few rumors around Nashville that we may be seeing Barry Trotz as maybe their future head coach. And for for a defensive-minded team, I mean, that it seems to fit. Um, Trotz, Trotz, as we know. I think Trotz was the end game for the Rangers. Like, that was the those were the reports. They looked into Trotz this season. I yeah. think that's where he wanted Jerry wanted Trotz and it just didn't work out. And then it became clear that they didn't want to try someone new. Like I still, I think, you know, I say best available guy. I think Chris Knobloch was probably the best option for mm. the Rangers in terms of exciting the fans. And for me as a fan, like who I kind of wanted, but became very clear. They wanted, they said they wanted someone with experience. And once you put those parameters, Laviolette's the guy. Yeah. Laviolette is the guy. I mean, he ranks eighth all time in NHL history and wins first among U.S. born head coaches and 11th all time in games coached. So you really can't get anyone with more experience than that. But heading across the Hudson, another big move, not behind the bench, but on the bench, Jesper Bratt has signed an eight-year, $63 million contract with the New Jersey Devils, including a 31 31- million signing bonus, 63 mil guaranteed, and an average annual salary of $7.8 million. James, what does it mean to lock down a guy like Jesper Bratt for this amount of time, just for a young Devils team? The fact that you ended that question with young Devils team speaks to why this contract was so important. The core that the Devils relied upon this year that really came to fruition is all being kept together and is all being kept together now with commitment because you saw the money and for many years. And that is exactly what Tom Fitzgerald wanted to be able to start this offseason with. He's still got a lot of work to do in terms of bringing back some of the secondary pieces because right now, if there's a third-line face-off, no one's going to take it. So <laughs> uh, the Devils still got some work to do, but the fact that they got Jesper Bratt now long-term under the under money uh, compared to Jack Hughes, who's already getting one of the best deals in the National Hockey League, this is the perfect uh, move to start off this offseason. Um, yeah, did Jesper Bratt not come up big in the playoffs like people were expecting him to? No, he did not have a good playoffs. But he is still on a 70-point game pace for the past two seasons now. Or 70, sorry, 70-point season pace now for two years. And those guys are not very disposable in this league. You got to pay those guys. You got to hold them up. The fact that he's staying now with one of his best friends from the draft, Nico Hishier, they're staying together long term. This is a cause for celebration. And has also just come out that now Timo Meyer wants to be in New Jersey for eight years. I, I've I've never seen anything like this where the Devils have have had so many pieces all at the same time are thinking, I want to be here. I want to be in New Jersey and I want to be here pushing for the cup. Jesper Bat was the first domino that had to fall for this to happen this offseason. Yeah, you had to say goodbye to a guy like Damon Severson, who, who I've always loved. But, you know, these are battles you pick, and I, I think this is a, a win for New Jersey. I, I can't see uh, how some Devils fans were ready to move on from him after the playoffs. It was the most infuriating thing ever. Um, I'm so relieved that after two years of limbo now with Brat, they've finally gotten this done, and we can just forget about it altogether. It's right. It's no mistake that people want to come and play for New Jersey and people want to stay in New Jersey. New Jersey is a beautiful state. 
it's, well, I don't know about that, but listen, <laughs> the team, the team is excellent. They're going to be excellent for a really long time. And I also don't think it's no mistake that Brat was prioritized as the first domino that had to fall, as you said, that that, that was the priority for the Devils front office seemingly this season before my before anyone else there's laundry list of guys that are either ufas or rfas it was brat that had to get done first that was the priority i he's one of the keys to this team obviously hughes field is is the face but i think right behind him in terms of offensive production one of the important pieces it's jesper brat and i think you look at a guy that right just scored 30 goals and 70 points at age 24 i think you're looking at a guy that could very easily be 40 goals, 90, 100 points. Like, I I can see that out of this guy. And so I, I I love the contract as a Rangers fan. I'm scared of him. And I think it does, you know, it opens up this conversation. The East, but especially the Metro, it's not going to be the gauntlet that it was this year. And it, if you can keep your key offensive producers, that's going to go a long way. You mentioned Meyer and Elliot Freeman tweeted out that it seems like the Devils are going to go to arbitration with him, but I think you have reason to be hopeful that he's going to come back and be a Devil long term. That if you can lock up these key offensive producers, listen, you can you can replace a Nathan Bastion if you have to. You can even replace like a Michael McLeod, right? I I, I liked McLeod in the playoffs, but like you can replace those role players. It's hard to replace the production of a guy like Brat or even a guy like Meyer, right? So to get these guys locked up long term. I mean, look at a lot of the good teams around the league that are successful for a long time. That's what they do. They lock up their core guys. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think there's a very good chance that if Timo Meyer is to re-sign with the Devils, that's going to be for a long-term contract. I mean, that's what he's looking for, especially because they were projecting that, you know, the Brat contract might be four to six years. He ends up getting eight. Would not be shocked if Meyer got around the same um, and, you know, James, I think you bring up a good point, how everyone was upset with Brat in the playoffs. Do you think that because Meyer performed much better than Brat did, that he's going to get a more favorable contract? Um, I I don't know if it, I would say because he performed better in the playoffs, but because of the the career that Timo has behind him, you sure. know, he's he's firmly in his prime. And he's made the jump from one team to another now with the intention of getting wins. So if he doesn't get paid in New Jersey, he will get paid somewhere else. That's uh, very the reason they're going to arbitration, I believe, is to um, is to bring that number down below nine for sure. I think arbitration is going to firmly cap it at eight point five, which is I think that's a win because the Devils have twenty three mil or so in cap room right now, which is. Based on the players they've got locked up, is is a really good spot to be in, um, especially now with the way that it's the league has been trending, where you don't want to pay uh, too much for goalies, and it looks like the Devils may be in a market for goalies. I would hope that they don't uh, put all their chips in the Connor Hellebuck basket, but that's a different discussion. Um, I think Timo Meyer gets more money simply because he's coming in with higher expectations. Um, Jack Hughes, like the the people who are trying to measure up everything to Hughes's contract, Hughes is the face of the team. You can't pay anybody more than Hughes. Well, Dougie Hamilton's already making more than Hughes, and uh, Timo Meyer is coming in much older. Hughes is on a ridiculously good deal. You can't just measure everything up to that. I think if they can keep Meyer under eight point seven five, I think it would be a good contract to do long term. Um, and if they can get it to eight point five or even lower, it's a home run. And you know, you've talked so much, James, about like. 
he's a different kind of player. He was a necessary yeah. addition for this team yeah. because of the physicality that he provides, that there's incentive for New Jersey to go out there and give him that money because of kind of that difference-making ability that he provides. And, you know, as a, as a Rangers fan, kind of watching the way he plays, you kind of long for someone like that. It feels like the Rangers don't have enough of that. So if the Devils can go out and lock that up, again, I think we keep talking about this match where teams are going to fall off. And I think every team Metro is going to lose some depth this year. But if you can lock up your key big guys, like you put yourself in a really big spot long-term to be a contender in every one of the years that you have Hughes, Bratt, and Meyer locked up for, if that's the situation you can get yourselves into. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think that the Devils are set up for a very nice future, a very nice decade. If, it, it's scary. If I'm honest. It is scary for everyone else in the Metro, but I would like to shift to a new segment here on Five on Three called Why Did You Lose? So (laughs) we are going to be going team by team that participated in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm just going to ask you guys very quickly as we go team by team, give us one bullet point. Why did this team lose? And also, will they be in the playoffs next year? So I'm going to start with the first round. Uh, we'll start in the Western Conference. Let's start with the Colorado Avalanche. Sam Bohr's Colorado Avalanche. James, why did the Avalanche lose? Ooh, if I could do just one reason, I would say um, they were surprised. I think, uh, I think, yeah, they. I, I don't want to take the easy way out and say that their their injuries were the reason. It was that was a big reason, but I would say that the Seattle Kraken came with an unprecedented amount of. Uh, forgotten aboutness to put it and uh they were pretty shockingly good and entertaining and and gritty and all the things that you want to see in a playoff hockey team especially a playoff hockey underdog and i didn't think that colorado deserved to get out of that series i thought seattle were um firmly the better team after seven games are we going to see colorado in the playoffs next year Okay. Excellent, Lou. I forgot. Why did the Avalanche lose? This year was this year was weird, man. Beyond the fact that it's just tough to repeat after, I think they were one of the most dominant Stanley Cup teams we've seen past decade, and then some. Hard to replicate that. Obviously, the injuries that this year was just weird. They never had like momentum going. A a little bit down down the stretch, they got they kind of got into that that spring, and you saw the cup a little bit, and they went, oh, let's. It's been a few games here. And then uh, Seattle had some some of that Florida magic going too. Or tough luck. I don't know. Colorado's good. They're going to be fine. That's that's where I'm at. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, I'll even take the easy way out here. It, it was the injuries. And I yeah. think if you don't put a heavy yeah. impact on the injuries, you can't. I mean, they were missing four of their top six forwards from the 2021-22 season for most of the playoffs. Um, Kadri and Burakovsky, who combined for 50 goals in that year, both left uh, last summer. So, you know, I, I think that the Avalanche will absolutely be in the playoffs next year once everyone's healthy. Shifting to another Western Conference matchup, the Dallas Stars defeated the Minnesota Wild. Hey, Lou, why did the Wild lose? Uh, it's... You know, it's tough to. I think Dallas was just a little bit better. I was not impressed with Dallas. This, I mean, and we'll get to that. I don't know. Minnesota and Dallas feel like two very similar teams, and Dallas was just 
a little bit better. Uh, to the next question that you're about to ask, Minnesota will be back in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if I have a good reason why they lost, other than Dallas was just a little bit better. I can I can give something of a reason in that they they didn't start Philip Gustafson from the get because I I I I once said and I won't take it back either. I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on future Vesna winner Philip Gustafson will bring the Minnesota Wild back to the playoffs. Um, as as much of a legend as Mark Andre Fleury is, he was a disaster uh, towards the stretch there, and they wasted a full game trying with him. Um, I'm not saying they would have won the series had they had Gustafson in for every game, but they would have pushed it to seven, if you ask me. So uh, that that's just something more of a reason, other than Dallas were just overall probably just that inch better of a team. I agree with everything that you said, but I think one thing we're overlooking was where was Kaprizov during the series? I yeah. mean, he scored one goal and it was a power play goal. Um, Kaprizov, Boldy, and Eriksenek, who were their top three goal scorers this season, did not get a single even strength goal in the entire series. So when you have your top three guys not producing, you're not you're not going to beat the Dallas Stars, especially when you have guys like Rupins and uh, Jason Robertson performing at their top levels, right? So sure. I think you'll absolutely see them. Uh, the next matchup we have was a lopsided one in the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Let's, you know, I don't even feel like I need to ask this question, but guys, are the Winnipeg Jets just done? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, if we can fast forward to the, are they making the playoffs? No, they're not. No, they're done. They are. <laughs> they are screwed. They are losing. Anyone that's like ma- majorly important to them, they're over. I, they were in a fun playoff team to watch this year, and now they're just going to be a boring team next year. But uh, yeah, Hellebuck didn't stand on his head, and that's that was the only way they were winning. Yeah, and it looks like his days in Winnipeg are oh, numbered, man. if not already over. So I think it's it's safe to say that we're going to see a, a transitional period for the uh, the Jets of Winnipeg. In the, over the next couple of years, unfortunately. Definitely. I think maybe a full rebuild might be in order. Uh, shifting to the final, uh, a Pacific matchup, it was a closer one than we probably gave it credit for, the LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. The LA Kings did fall short um, because Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl did what they did. Um, so, you know, I... Just want to ask you guys, where where do you see the Kings? What what do they need to do to maybe take that next step and become maybe a solid foundational playoff team? Not face McDavid or Dreisaitl in the first round. I I mean, look as far as far as first round matchups went, I thought the Kings were the most unlucky to get Edmonton because you know if if not for the Dallas Stars, I think the Kings were probably right there in terms of the the second tier of teams in the West that could have pushed for the Cup. And, you know, to have gotten the short end of the stick like that in round one um, was, uh, I don't want to say a disaster because they were they were in some of the games that they lost. Those games had some crazy score lines and some yeah. awful goaltending on both ends. So wild. Officiating they, too. Oh, and yeah, this is true. Man. Any 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 stability, I would say, is probably probably the one word that the L.A. King should be striving to achieve by the end of of next regular season, because I do believe that they will be back in the playoffs. Yeah, 
I think if Jonas Corpusalo sticks around, I think they have a very good shot. As long as they're letting their young guys develop. I mean, they still have a very young core. If you talk about guys like Adrian Kempe, like Alex Iafalo, you even have even the younger guys like Quentin Byfield, um, Alex Turcott. These really young guys who were really high draft picks who we haven't seen a lot of yet. Byfield's coming into his own. Lou, what next step do the Kings need to take? I kind of like what James says about like lineup consistency. For me, their arrow mm-hmm. is like very firmly pointed up. Like I, I think I kind of forgot until you mentioned it. I kind of forgot how fun the Kings Oilers series was, and how much trouble that the Kings gave the Oilers. And that was not a matchup going in that I think you thought like oh, this is going to necessarily be a really grueling battle. But no, they stepped up and they really came to play. I think it's kind of what both of you guys said were, hey, let that let that core develop. Maybe it's time to go out and get, you know, a piece or two here. I'm not saying make the big move, but like get some helpful pieces that are going to be there in the next couple of years and can give you a little bit more town overall and, and, and improve your depth. But again, they're a team that that arrow is firmly pointed up. I think you'll see them again in the playoffs. And I I think you could argue that they have that actually in guys like Kevin Fiala and Victor Arvidsson who really showed up this season with it's, a little it's bit a of a more talented roster that I think people give it credit for. If you look up and down at the lines, like there's still a lot of talent. I know, you know, Kopitar is older, but still very, very good. I mean, led the team in points. He's still very, very good. Where oh, yeah. hey, sometimes the old, old guys are still still very good. So let's move to I think what was a heartbreak for all of us, the Seattle Kraken fell to the Dallas Stars. They fought hard. That's sort of all you can say, James. Why why don't the Kraken have it quite yet? But are they close? I would say that the Kraken are close. Um, I do think that we saw a similar sort of honeymoon period that the Vegas Golden Knights had in their first playoff Mm. appearance in which some players that you didn't expect to be top-end performers grew into top-end performers. Like We know Jaden Schwartz has the capabilities of playing some meaningful, really good style playoff hockey. He's won a Stanley Cup. Like, he's been there for a reason. Jordan Eberle, you know, he really went above and beyond. Maddie Beneers has, has, has evolved into a bona fide star, in my opinion. So for them to have shine shown that bright in the first round and to have pushed Dallas uh, as far as they did, I think is, is a great step. I do think they'll be back in the playoff uh, conversation. I don't know if I will firmly put them in the playoff field because I think the competitiveness around them is going to require that they be more consistent than they were um, yeah. uh, throughout the season. I think there was a lot of teams that were right on that bubble that were inconsistent. You know, if Edmonton doesn't have a lapse, a lapse like they did, and if Calgary didn't have the season they had, I don't think Seattle ended up being a playoff team, but they hit the ground running at the right time but just didn't have enough talent, I don't think, to take out a team like Dallas in a seven-game series. So for Seattle, I would be very bullish about my chances moving forward, but you're going to need to remain consistent and show progress because if they stay the same, the teams around them are just going to get better. Yeah, Lou, I'm sure you remember the Kraken were in first place for a majority of the beginning of the season, fell off. So is consistency the name of the game for the Kraken? I think it has to be. I also, you can't undersell how important this playoff experience is for them way ahead of schedule. So to get two rounds of playoff experience to see Grubauer really play I very excellent hockey in net. Uh, I think that, you know, when you look at their, their four lines, their defensive pairings, like 
talent wise doesn't necessarily pop off the same way on the on the page as some of the other teams in the West that we've been talking about. But sometimes it is a little bit of you know heart over town. I think we saw that a lot in the case of the, of these playoffs and to see them battle through these playoffs the way that they did, I think that has to give Seattle fans a lot of hope. I will say I do kind of worry about how consistently they can play that level of hockey next year. I'm kind of where like I'm not locking them in for a playoff appearance next year. I think they'll be in the mix. Would not be surprised if they get in again as a wild card, but uh, I would not be like overly certain that that happens. I still think they have a lot to work out. Sure. Let, let's go back to another conference semifinals in what I think we can all agree was kind of shocking. I expected the Edmonton Oilers after that series against the Kings to sort of cruise past the Vegas Golden Knights. And when I watched this series, that was the first time I thought, whoa, who is this Aiden Hill guy? <laughs> um, so I just want to know how and why did Edmonton lose and why are you thrilled about it? Can I go first? Goaltending. Oh, Lou, you can goaltending. go Goaltending, because the goalie didn't play, play well at all. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. Stuart Skinner, dude. Just, if they had, like, competent goaltending, I think that series is so much more interesting. It stinks because it's the same conversation, what, like, three years now in a row, maybe more, where it's like Edmonton is stacked with talent. Two of the best talents in the league, McDavid and dry settle and we can't get them on the national stage because they don't have a goalie in that that can really not even win them games because they don't need a goalie that's going to igor them to the playoffs they just need a goalie that's not going to lose them games and they still haven't found it listen i think i'm being a little mean to Stuart skinner right now because he had he really had, really had a nice season and i think he's got some potential but I don't know if you can trust him and run it back out there with him after the way he played in the playoffs. Like, don't you kind of have to give yourself an insurance policy, like a little bit more that just like you have someone in net that can kind of do it if you need him in the playoffs. Am I crazy? That is all-star Stuart Skinner to you, by the way. And, and Calder finalist as well. And Calder finalist. He had an excellent season. He's like third to last in playoff goals saved above expected. Like he's, out of twenty eight goalies, he's twenty six. Do you know? Do you know who were? Do you know who's who were twenty seven and twenty eight? I do know who twenty seven. I was gonna save that for for a little. I was gonna save twenty eight for later, but I'm gonna go twenty seven. Uh, twenty eight, we can twenty eight and twenty seven, we can save for later. But I, I mean, I if you know who they are and I know who they are, we don't gotta say it anyway. Um, at, for Edmonton, I goaltending, 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 like Stuart Skinner, man. I thought he was overrated during the season. Like, I didn't think he had a bad season, but I think to have to have put the expectations on him because, you know, Edmonton's been searching for that goaltending piece and that defensive piece and those bottom six pieces ever since McDavid joined the league. And this is the closest they've ever been to it. I think they still make the playoffs without McDavid this year, which is something I never would have said in the past about this team. So to have been... Uh, to have been debilitated by your goaltender in the playoffs like this is such a letdown. Um, but I, I again, I, I I don't think that like they were all that terrible. And we can't forget, Vegas shredded every goaltender they played against, every single one, including Bobrovsky, who was lights out up until the cup. So you can't, you can't, you can take that with a grain of salt for Edmonton in this round. Um, because I remember I was watching Hellebuck in the first round, and I was thinking, man. He's passed his stuff and, you know, as good of a season as he's had 
as the Vesna years are behind him now. But now I see what Vegas did to every other goaltender, and I, and I start to think back on those things. For as much as I thought Stuart Skinner was uh, really poor in this series game after game, Jack Campbell put up some great playoff numbers. So if you, you need a bat, you need a backup plan, you need something like that. Maybe Jack Jack Campbell's good in the jam. I don't know. Probably not, though. That's probably ridiculous. But it did happen once or twice this playoffs. You know what? I wouldn't go as far as to say that Jack <laughs> Campbell is a solution for any team. Um, but that does take us to our conference final of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars, in which the Dallas Stars... I mean, you could see this one kind of coming from a mile away. I, I think once we saw the semifinal, Vegas was poised to go all the way. I mean, with the way that they were playing, there I honestly don't see any world in which the Dallas Stars beat the Vegas Golden Knights. So, guys, I'll start with you, James. Why why, why weren't the Stars good enough to beat the Knights? Um, Because compared to their opposition, they were not nearly as opportunistic or mm. as controlling of the pace or as reliable in goal. And that is very disappointing because, once again, it's Jake Ottinger in goal. And I thought he was probably the best goalie from the year. We talked about I, I thought Skinner was a bit overrated. I didn't think Ottinger was overrated. If anything, he's underrated. So I love to, yeah, to have uh To have performed that poorly in the playoffs, especially when it mattered most, was uh, a big letdown. Bigger than to me than, uh, than Edmonton going down the way that they did. So are they coming back? They'll be back. They will be back. I think, be back. I, I think they'll firmly be back. I wouldn't put them in the cup contender category, though, um, unless Jake Ottinger can have the exact same season he had last year because he needs to be that good. James, we kind of, like, hinted at it. Guess who was the worst goalie at goal saved above expected? It was Jake Ottinger. And that, like, 28 deeply 28. Hurt. 28 out of 28. That deep, deeply hurts my heart, not just because of how awesome he was like last year when he it was almost the opposite. He almost single-handedly got them into the second round because of how well he played in net. And it hurt. Like, I think Jake Ottinger can be like, a, I've said before, he's like a top five goalie in the NHL. And that take hasn't always aged its best. But I really like Jake Ottinger. I just think beyond him, like things really fell apart for the Stars. It's not a good look that they played their best without their captain, Jamie Benn. And we talked a lot about like how stupid that that penalty was just felt like there was a lot of stuff wrong during that series. And then on top of that, like Vegas was a machine this year. And so like, yeah, they got past everyone that they played right in like dominant fashion. So kind of tough to blame Dallas, but also don't think that we got nearly the the level of production that at least I kind of expected for them. So with Vegas secured. Oh, definitely. Definitely. With Vegas secured, let's head over to the East with maybe the biggest question of the night. Hey, James, why did the Boston Bruins lose to the Florida Panthers? That was a culmination of an injured goaltender being forced to play more than he should have uh, when you had one of the best backups waiting in the wings. Um, the ultimate amount of pressure boiling over. And being surprised by a team that shouldn't have been surprising, that once they got their players healthy again and started hitting their stride, were playing some of the best hockey in the National Hockey League, um, got a little help from the Pittsburgh Penguins missing the playoffs, and then, you know, surprised the Boston Bruins. And, you know, 
what shouldn't have been that surprising. Maddie Kachuk, the first thing he said after that, after that victory, um, to everybody but those guys in the locker room, that's the biggest upset in NHL history. The only reason anybody was calling it the biggest upset in NHL history was because of the the point disparity between the two teams, how it was the greatest NHL season of all time for Boston and the lowest team to make the playoffs in Florida. I think if you give Florida a full season at their best hockey, I think they don't get a wild card and firmly make the playoffs in the Atlantic division. And I think they'll probably do that next year. Um, But the reason the Boston Bruins lost is a number of factors that some of which were out of their control and some of which were self-inflicted. So I, I wouldn't put the panic button on the Boston Bruins in the sense that, oh, my God, all hope is lost. But this was their year. This was their cup window year. And I think it's vanished. Do I think they'll be back in the playoffs? Maybe. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them to make the playoffs, but they're still too good of a team to rule out. I'd pencil them. Yeah, it's it's hard to blame Omar completely. Right. I think, first of all, listen. They they kept Olmark in that series way too long. You have to go to Swayman earlier. Going to Swayman in Game Seven is just a recipe for disaster. So like you put themselves in that you put yourself in that situation. Now, obviously, when when they lost, this is kind of before we realized like oh, Florida's playing with the strength of Mother Mary. This is crazy, right? But yeah, beyond beyond all that, like Olmark had a couple of bad plays in that series. Remember, he mishandles the puck and Florida scores and in, in OT and stuff like that. It also like does kind of feel like yeah they they kind of got caught as soon as the ice started to tilt they got in their own heads because hey they're the best team in NHL history and they let that pressure fester. Also, uh, Marshand can't finish a breakaway, so I don't know. Pick <laughs> pick one right and then and, and run with it. You know what? My reason that they didn't win, they won the President's Trophy. And That's also right. Curses are curses are real. Last team to do it was 10 years ago, officially, with the Chicago Blackhawks in 2013. And, no, I believe you're absolutely right. Matthew and you Kachuk know what? Was... You can make a case that karma got them back in a very different way. Absolutely. I think Matthew Kachuk in this series was sort of on, like, demigod mode that he would later turn on in the Carolina series um, when he went just full-blown deity. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think they're all – they they all hit their stride at just the right time for the Florida Panthers. And we'll, we'll get into that with the Toronto series. But the first Toronto series, they won a playoff series. And nevertheless, it was against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Lou Orlando, how did the Maple Leafs make it out of the first round? The Maple Leafs outplayed the Tampa Bay Lightning. And kind of like we sneakily said, like, because we were scared of Tampa because they hadn't played well, and that felt like a recipe for them just turning it on and running the whole thing. No, the regular season was not like a misleading joke for Tampa. Like they're actually just kind of mid. Obviously, Vasilevsky is no longer a god anymore. He actually was one of the worst goalies in the playoffs. So I think that takes a huge chunk of it. But what we keep saying about Tampa, they keep losing depth, losing talent, and they went up against just a better Toronto Maple Leafs team where they're really, I think their best chance was if Vasilevsky plays to God like Vasilevsky, he didn't do that. Toronto is putting their heart and soul into just getting by the first round so much so that they didn't think about anything else. I don't know. It never felt like it was happening. I mean, the, we want Florida chance. Uh, we'll never forget those. As for Tampa, 
you know, it was there was their time. In yeah. the same in the same vein that it was Toronto's time to get to the first round, uh, get past the first round, it was Tampa's time to say goodbye early on in the playoffs. And yeah, Vasilevsky not being the same goaltender that you know we think him to be was a big letdown. And I think Toronto, I you said that they were outplayed. I don't, I don't really know if I would say that Toronto outplayed Tampa through a lot of stretches, That's if true. not for the fact that they got timely goals. And we're efficient in front of the net. And that's exactly that's what you need your big time players to do if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. The profile of that team is not one that you need to control the game all the time. But if you get the puck with some space and you're going to get speed from those top guys, you know, you're going to get goals and you're going to get good chances. And that's what the Maple Leafs game was. And that's why that they were able to take down Tampa. They were really efficient in front of goal. And Vasilevsky was not up to snuff in ways that he had been in the past. So I think for Tampa, it's a good chance maybe hit the reset button, get back to reality. You're not the uh, the Giants you once were. And for Toronto, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, we'll get to them in a second, but I guess it's back on the horse. First round is the first hurdle again. So maybe I'm grasping for a hot take here, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Do you see a world in which next season the Tampa Bay Lightning have less points than either the Buffalo Sabres or Florida Panthers. Oh, yes. Definitely Florida, but Buffalo? I'm very high on Buffalo next year. I don't know if they'll have more points than Tampa, but I would like love it to happen. Listen, I you know, I think Tampa hangs around. But I, you know, I could see next year being a, a tough tougher year for them than we've seen in a while where I I would not be surprised if they end up being one of the wild card teams. I mean, Buffalo I, finished I the same the year way. seven points behind Tampa. I'm I'm seven big on points. I don't, I don't want to tip my hand for like next year's podcast, but like I, I am excited for Buffalo. No, the the Sabers are a team that everybody should be high on. I think um, to to put them to put them uh, in the same expectations as a Tampa Bay type season, I think is you know probably a good measuring stick for for the young Sabers. And I think that if they fall short of of Tampa. I think they'll still be a playoff team. So I um, I really like their chances next year as well. I think that was a good question. I do think Florida finishes ahead of Tampa. Yes. Okay. Uh, moving on to a series that broke my heart. Um, let's talk about the New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, man. This was just brutal to watch. Ilya Sorokin did his best. I mean, that overtime, oh, I feel so bad for him. Because the whole series, he was playing fantastic, and then it was one slip. But this is just part of a larger problem to where the, Bo Horvat is not playing at the level he needs to be. Matt Barzell was coming off an injury. You know, you lost some key pieces. I think, I think you know, trading away Anthony Bavillier and Aturatu for a, for a lease on Bo Horvat, they did end up signing him, but... I mean, still, I I just I'm losing more and more faith in Lou Lamorello to put together a hockey team. And if, if I may talk about Lou first, I know, Lou, that is your name. But Lou Lamorello is someone I have a bit of history with as is a New Jersey guy. That oh. was a very non Lou Lamorello move as well to have to have made the big money deal midseason like that for a guy like Bo Horvat. Um, I think now with the hindsight it was good to have gotten him long-term, but the pieces that were given up, 
made it seem like it was a transitional period at best. If if the Islanders were to have beaten Carolina, it would have taken it in a masterclass from Ilya Sorokin. And it's not that he performed poorly in the playoffs at all. He played pretty well, pretty admirably, but he didn't have the Vezina caliber uh, stuff he had in the regular season. And again, it's tough to measure up when you're that good in the regular season and you're playing the same Carolina team night after night. It's just not the same scenario. So I think if we're going to say why did the Islanders get knocked out is because they were faced with, and I don't want to say unbeatable team because they were certainly beatable later in the playoffs, but a team that would have taken a lot from their goaltender to overcome. Yeah, Lou, same question. Why will I never be happy? Well, uh, you know, a few things that you probably shouldn't get into, just, you know, me- mental stuff and whatnot. But uh, Car- Carolina <laughs> <laughs> was really good this postseason, even when they lost. Like, Carolina played some of the best hockey we've seen in the NHL playoffs, where to let them take the stronghold in that series, I think ultimately was the dooming point where, where Islanders did a valiant job of fighting back and you know making it interesting. But once you fall down like that, that dramatically, Carolina is not really a team that you can win three straight games against or really mount a comeback like that against. Uh, everything that you guys have said is correct, but I, I know like it's really easy to say like, hey, you go down in a series, you're, that's not good, but like that means you're probably going to lose. But like, especially against the Carolina team, we know the way that they play, not just with a lead, but with a lead in the series. I think that's an underrated thing is how confident Carolina can get once they have a, the stronghold in the series that, again, you're asking your team to do all these things when coming into the playoffs, you weren't exactly in the best spot anyway, that it was just the perfect storm for you guys to lose. You know what? Those are all great answers. I'm, I'm and sorry I'm, you're not going to be happy, Nick. You know what? That's okay, because let's you're talk just, about the New York Rangers. Spoiler alert. Like, no, <laughs> maybe James. No, that's 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 fine. You can destroy my soul. Let's destroy your soul. Let's talk about the New York Rangers. Um, so the New York Rangers did not win against the New Jersey Devils. Um, and we were, I think you was it us three? when we were talking about what we were going to predict for this series and we all said it was going to go seven games. I think I we had all it said, six, I okay, said it in six. We knew it was going to be a battle. Did we get a battle from the New York no, Rangers in the last part of that series? No, it wasn't. Fun. Game six. That didn't count. Power play merchants didn't count. <laughs> Rangers can't play five on five hockey, and they like they paid the price for it. Uh, the easy answer would be to be like, "Oh, Panarin didn't do anything. All these guys didn't do anything." Yes, their stars didn't play well, and that hurts. But the overarching issue is the fact that the Rangers just couldn't. Not only could they not play good five on five hockey, once the Devils made adjustments to what they were doing, the Rangers couldn't make adjustments back, and really their stubbornness to not change the way they were playing hockey or change like kind of anything at all, or just give Igor any like iota of help are all the reasons why they lost and they deserve to lose that series. And that's kind of why Ranger fans have just been in a depressed funk all off season so far. It's about that they deserve to lose that series. And it's like not close. Well, I, it's hard to say it wasn't close when it did go seven, you know, like, no, but like, it didn't feel like 
the Devils were clearly the better team in that series. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know that the, I know that the Rangers won the first two games like convincingly. The Devils weren't yeah. playing their brand of hockey. Once the Devils played their brand of hockey, the series wasn't close. And that's why it feels so lopsided is when the Devils played their game, which they did from game three on. Ah. And, you know, I because we will talk about the Devils presumably in a, in a few minutes, um, I will... Oh, I forgot. Also, Akira Schmid was really good in the Rangers. See, I was. I will refrain from talking about what the Devils did well or poorly. As to the Rangers' point, I, I mean, I still think back to the offseason or not the offseason, the trade deadline moves. You know, the the direction the team took last year versus the one they took this year to have gotten guys like Cop and Vetrano versus guys like Tarasenko and Kane. I thought they fulfilled the wrong need with what they were going to face in the playoffs. I know it's very hard to look hindsight is 2020. It's very hard to say, oh, they shouldn't have picked up Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, two Stanley Cup winners, two amazing players in their own right. So I think it it was like, again, for the Devils and Rangers to have been a first round series. I mean, we were blessed and spoiled to have gotten it, to have seen it in person, you know, uh, and to have been in college in New York city, as it happened, that's something I'll never forget. But those two teams were both better than first round exits. And it, it kind of sucked that one of them had to go out in the first round. And you're right that the moves didn't fit like their team needs as, as much as the Vitrano and cop moves did last year. But I still watched that team with those guys play really good hockey down the stretch. And that's just not how they played during the playoffs. I'm not saying that the Tarasenko and Kane moves, didn't go it, like it went into a territory that the Rangers probably didn't need to go into, but that team was still talented enough to win. And that team, oh, yeah. I firmly believe, could have won a cup if they played good hockey and they didn't and they lost. Fair enough. Everyone put a smile on your face. Let's talk about why the Toronto Maple Leafs did not win the second <laughs> round. Um, oh, let's start with you, James. Why did the Toronto Maple Leafs lose and why are you thrilled? Well, you know, it was fun while it lasted, Toronto. Um, but the reason the Toronto Maple Leafs lost is because, well, look who they played against. I mean, they asked for it and they got it. You ask and you shall receive. And the only regret that I have from that series is that it didn't end in four games. Um, and, you know, had it been a sweep, it would have been a legit sweep. Not like the one the Panthers did to the Hurricanes. That was a fake sweep. So... Uh, <laughs> with that said, though, you know, Florida was in every game by a goal, uh, except for game one. They were down 4-2. Every other game, they were within it, within striking distance, but they were just a little bit outplayed, you know, in just about every game. And I think I look back at the Lightning series, I think they were just about outplayed in most of those games as well. And I think if not for the fact that they got goals when you felt like they were out of it, Toronto would have gotten blown away by Florida in the series. Florida was a more grounded team, more grit oriented and more, uh, I think the pressure of playing in Toronto is what it is, you know, when you have to stand up to that sort of history and that sort of scrutiny. Um, But they don't help themselves when they play panicked after going down in a series, you know, you'd think after so many years of doing it (laughs) one after the other, that they would just get over that feeling and just play hockey. But, you know, you watch them tense up and the goaltending goes and then the defense goes and, you know, I have to say they didn't crumble in this series. So I've, I'd say that at, we have virtually every playoff a disaster for the Toronto Maple Leafs. There's at least one moment where you look at it and thought, oh, they crumbled. Not this time. 
they were they were straight up beaten by a better team. They, there was no three goals given up in a minute and a half against Boston. There's nothing like that. Um, I think it was a step in the right direction for Toronto, if not for the fact that Florida were on an unprecedented run. Um, I think Toronto could have been an Eastern Conference finalist, but that that Florida performance was was to die for. Toronto's game just doesn't doesn't match what Florida did this postseason. I think the Rangers would have gotten ran through by Florida too, where I think you know they get a little too skill oriented and you play those tough gritty teams, and you just don't have enough to respond to to respond right. So it it's it's lazy to say that Florida just like had the better play style and outplayed them, but like that is what happened. They tilted the ice and Toronto hung in there sometimes, but I I don't that team was never beating Florida the way that Florida played. I mean, I agree. I, I think that, you know, at least Toronto I think is in a better position to maybe make a run next year. Maybe the I, nerves aren't there. It's just it's weird with all like the their their future's weird. With the the trade talks about like is yeah. Matthews going to be there? Is Barner going to be there? Like the fans are very bitter there. I think for good reason, right? They haven't had a lot to be happy about, and now Dubis gone too. Like I don't, I don't know. Like I think Toronto's still going to be okay, but like my excitement about them as like a Stanley Cup contender, I think it's waning. Like I think I had a little bit of hope in them this year, and I think it's really starting to wane. Where I'm not buying into Toronto anymore. Talk about a team that I think we are buying into, who unfortunately did not make it past the second round, who I was rooting for all the way. Um, Lou, were you rooting for them in I don't think so. Series? I think I you don't think so. A little salty. That's okay. Um, the New Jersey Devils did fall to the Carolina Hurricanes. I'll start with you, James, you, just so you can get it out of your system. What didn't work for the Devils in this series? Starting Vitek Vanacek in game four. Um, I knew yeah. you were going to say that, too. Yeah, because that was uh, that was bad. It was a bad call. Uh, now, the, they got beaten by a more seasoned team that, you know, was going to unwaver in the way that they wanted to play. And Carolina kind of had New Jersey's number throughout the regular season in that way, too. Even the games that the Devils beat Carolina, it felt like they were imposing their will on them. And the Devils... Once they were able to do that to the Rangers, had the series done and dusted. You know, I think after game five, that four nothing victory, it became very clear that when the Devils want to be at their best, they're going to be very hard to beat. They did that in game three against Carolina. That game went off the rails with the score and everything like that. But once the Devils were result were were uh, resorting to their B game, as PK Subban put it on an intermission report once, and I thought it was a great analogy. If you don't have a B game against the Carolina Hurricanes, it's over. And, you know, when they would go down first in those games or if they would go up and then give up two quick goals, it's like that because Carolina are just going to shut you down. They have that experience. They have that mentality. They have that discipline. And the Devils just couldn't match that. I'm glad that they were able to have tasted some form of success this season at the expense of their biggest rivals too. Not only did that feel good for me as a fan, but it must have felt unbelievably good for the players in what was their first foray into the Stanley Cup playoffs and to have tasted defeat in the way that they did, to have been completely outclassed men against boys by a depleted Carolina Hurricanes team presents the opportunity for them to either look back and think, wow, 
we are so far away from where we want to go. Or they can say, this is what we have to learn. This is what we have to achieve and overcome if we want to get back to Stanley Cup glory days, a la 95, 2000, 2003. So I am obviously heartbroken that it happened the way that it did, but it presents the greatest learning opportunity possible. And you know what? I don't know if you guys don't know this about the Carolina Hurricanes, but they have seriously had the devil's numbers in playoffs. I think back to 08 specifically and ugh, so many bad memories playing the Carolina Hurricanes in the playoffs. I'm hoping that this new generation of devil's players will appreciate the feeling of eventually beating them in the playoffs. Carolina's fast. They can match the devil's speed. They can build that wall in the neutral zone. They can play as aggressively as the devils can. I thought that that was that made for a very fun matchup. And I think you saw the Hurricanes much more experienced at playing that style of hockey than the Devils are. This is really the first year we've seen the Devils come into their own with that system of hockey. Carolina's been doing it for forever, right? They've been doing it for three, four years with Brendan Moore. Like, that's this is what they do. We know that this is what they do. The solution is, hey, just play Carolina in the conference final and you don't have to worry. You'll sweep it. You don't have to worry about it. They can't win a conference final game. So that's the simple solution is just play them in the conference final and you'll play be okay. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, Schmid, Schmid got tested more by Carolina than, you know, by the Rangers. I think that hurt. But I don't know. I, I, still, I still thought Schmid I'm was really good the, against Carolina. Yeah. But, What'd you say? Listen, he was just dominant. He just do- like yeah. he was dominant against the Rangers to the point of like there was no hope of a goal. Like he didn't feel that way against Carolina, but that's like you're going for it's the same way, like you didn't expect Omar to play to like a 1.9 goals, you know, GAA, right? Like that was gonna come down in the playoffs too. So it's uh, I mean, the Devils, we know that they're gonna be around for a really long time and they're gonna be very good for a really long time. This is just the beginning for them. So you just talked about a conference final how Carolina can't win a conference final game. So let's talk about this series. It was Matthew Kachuk against the Carolina Hurricanes. And Matthew Kachuk, four. Carolina Hurricanes, zero. Um, what happened? What what happened to this Carolina team that was kind of rolling through the playoffs? Dude, it, it's so tough because I think there are a couple teams you could say this about, but I think it's most applicable, applicable to Carolina is that yeah. – they like they played really good hockey even when they lost. Like I'm not gonna say that they didn't deserve to lose, but it you never got to a point where like they played bad hockey. Like they legitimately just got outplayed by a Florida team that was on one. Like again, I kind of said this before. Like I get where Brendan Moore's coming from when he said that they didn't get swept because they played so much better than what a sweep says. Like they were in that series in every single game against. Obviously, they only they lose every game by one goal. So they're they were in it the the entire time. Sometimes you just get a little bit unlucky with like Florida got the timely goals. I think winning a game in quadruple overtime like kind of set the tone for like hey momentum was on their side. It's tough. You can say all you want about hey it's only one game, but like that sets a tone. It's tough to come back from that in game one. Also, no, it wasn't one game. It was actually two and a third games. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was I was going to say the fact that games one and two were both extended beyond the 60 minutes, and mm-hmm. in game one's case, and the additional 60 minutes. So that's just such a demoralizing demoralizing way to go down, especially when you're right there two times in a row like that. Um Florida didn't give anybody an inch, man. 
Um, the only team that got any space off of the Panthers was Vegas because they took it from them. And, and um, we can the, talk about that in a second, too. Yes, yeah, yeah. And and I'll save some of that for later because what, what Florida was able to do to this Hurricanes team is what no other team in the NHL, including the Boston Bruins, was able to do to them. And it was what I thought Carolina did so well to New Jersey, and it was that just close down the space and take their game away from them. Florida did not have to be a team that controlled everything. They just had to be a team that didn't give up everything. And that's what they were. They made it easy enough for their goaltender to make big saves. They didn't put their goaltender out to dry anytime. They were a consistent, disciplined hockey team to the point that they were so good at it that even Carolina, who were with them every step of the way, needed those extra few inches off of the Panthers and couldn't get them. The Cats were just absolutely relentless in that regard. And you have to tip your hat to Paul Maurice and, and the, the guys for pulling it off. I did not think that they were going to be that dominant against the Hurricanes, even as like the Panthers continued to get better past the Bruins series, too which is what was really impressive. And is just what a lot of the reasons why people picked them to do so well in the cup final. But uh, I think we maybe uh, didn't give Vegas the time of day, at least not on this show. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think how much effort that Florida put into that series can't be understood. I mean, when you were watching them in fourth overtime, it was like you were watching a team in the second period. Like their energy was like the same. You didn't really see them like, gasping for air or like struggling to skate which any team would be by the fourth overtime so i think you got to give serious props to florida there but let's move to the stanley cup final i was actually gunning for florida in this one i wanted florida to win but that comes out of a seething hatred for all vegas sports teams um i am one of those vegas haters uh so yeah, it was a little brutal to watch. You know, my heart is almost as broken as Matthew Kachuk's sternum. Um, so, you know, what what happened to Florida? Was it the injury to Kachuk? Was it what were they lacking to finish the job? It's it's injuries plural. Like yeah. my heart feels for Florida because this run was magical, but it took everything in them. To get there. I know that like on paper, right? Like they kind of dominated through the playoffs after the ball, like after they went down three, one to Boston, they won 11 of 12 games. But like, as we just said, Carolina, that wasn't a dominant sweep in the sense that like they cruised through it. They had to battle for that sweep. And you hear about the injuries, right? And you hear that most of the injuries happened in the Boston series, which is crazy. We're not allowed to curse on this podcast, so I'm not going to. But I'm also not going to say hell either because that doesn't it doesn't do the job. How the f is Ekblad skating, dude? Broken foot, two separated shoulders, and a torn oblique. How is that guy moving on the ice? I don't get. Like they were so so banged up, and I think it's you have to remember, right? Vegas or Florida had 11 days, like of rest before the Stanley Cup. Vegas looked like the team that was well-rested. That's how banged up Florida was. I'm not going to pin it all on injuries. I just think that injuries deprived us of what could have been a very, very entertaining Stanley Cup. Like, we lost that. Because Florida was so hurt, we didn't get a competitive Stanley Cup. We got one where Vegas just dominated. And Vegas was awesome this year. But they didn't have to deal with the injuries Florida had to deal with. And so they were able to run through a hurt Florida team that didn't have anything left. Yeah, James, I think you might have seen... um that Kachuk quote 
while he was pushing through that sternum in game three, where he literally had his brother tying his skates or his teammates tying his skates for him. Brady putting on his jersey for him. The dude could not move. Is that an unwise decision for a player of his caliber for next year? And also, is that the reason that Florida lost? I mean, it's tough to say that that's not the reason that they lost. You know, when you're three of your best players, your biggest impact players in Ekblad, Montour, and Kachuk all dealing with very serious injuries, all playing through injuries that they sustained for quite a while. You know, you hear this with every team in the playoffs. It comes out that they were all playing through injuries. His was spectacular. And uh, I'm glad you highlighted Aaron Ekblad, Lou, because I think he may go down as the best defenseman of this generation to not win a Norris Trophy. I hope his a Norris Trophy is still in his future. He's one of the most slept on players in the National Hockey League. I love his game so much. But Brandon Montour was playing out of his mind like Kale McCarr throughout this playoffs. Matthew Kachuk, I think, solidified himself as a top five player in the entire league after the league took notice from what he was doing in the, in the cup playoffs this year. So to have had the 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 run that they did, yeah, it was debilitated by injuries, but If you look at what Vegas was able to do against every team they played against, they put up the consistently same, like the same numbers in terms of goal production, the same numbers in terms of ice uh, time possession on, on the attack, all of that five on five power plays. It didn't matter. You gave them chances. They were going to take it. You gave them an inch. They're going to take a foot. They were that good. They were that dominant, that relentless. And look, their fans don't even know the offside yet like they've they've been watching hockey their lifelong fans are are in preschool by now so um as much as as it pains me to say that you know they may not been the most deserving of organizations to have gotten a stanley cup but of teams and groups groups of players i mean uh we if we don't remind you of what happened with the salary cap with mark stone coming off injury they um they were they were far and away the best team in the national hockey league um after the regular season ended, of course, because as we know, the playoffs and regular season are two different animals. I think fair and square, Florida, as as painful as it was to have gone down like that, and you know, I know you pose this as a question: is is it is it right for Maddie Kachuk like going into next year? Um, I sure hope so. I think he's a tough enough cookie that that he knows his body, and and he's not gonna he's not gonna miss too much time from next year. And and if he does. I think what they're going to do is he's going to come back midseason and they're going to hit the ground running on their way to another playoff run. Because I, I think this is not the last we've seen of this Florida Panthers team, especially really? since the trend of your goaltending being that important has uh, subsided. And plus, if Bobrovsky or like who like it doesn't matter a goaltending, but I but their goaltending was ridiculous. I mean, we look across the board, Aiden Hill standing up the way he did as a third string, man, like it's a weird time. Weird time in hockey. So you kind of answered my final question, which I'm going to pose to you, Lou. But this is a, a completely different segment. So so please, please do not confuse this with why did you lose? This is why didn't you lose Vegas Golden Knights edition? Why did the Vegas Golden Knights refuse to lose a game? My answer would be Jonathan so stepped up in a way that nobody expected him to. I feel like Aiden Hill's an easy answer. But Marcheseau was a point-per-game guy. He was on the ice for a lot of time. And, man, was he effective. Listen, this cup, you got a lot of career-defining moments out of guys from Vegas. First off, Marcheseau, I think, elevating his game to a level 
we've never seen before. Aiden Hill is a free agent. He's going to get his bag for the way he played this postseason. But, bro, you kind of mentioned Mark Stone. Like, Elliot Freeman went on a show today and basically said that, like, there's doubts about whether or not he can play next year because his injury is still very serious. And it's like it could hamper him for the rest of his career. This is apparently coming from, like, other teams they've heard that Mark Stone might just be on and off for the rest of his career because of how serious this injury is. So that more impressive that he comes back activated for the playoffs and finishes with the third most points on Vegas. How about little Brett Howden, man rocket, former Ranger kind of stuff, but like Vegas's guys just stepped up and, and played really well. And also like tilted the ice against Florida in a way that we really didn't see the rest of the entire playoffs from any other team. Like I go back to that, I think it was the the second period of game four where Vegas just dominated the entire time. I had not in that entire playoff seen a team do that to Florida, just that holistically dominate them and just make them honestly look like at sometimes like what the Rangers looked like during this postseason. Not not to not to bury the Rangers some more, but like that's what Florida looked like against Vegas at times during this Stanley Cup run that man, Vegas just just dominated and just got like got the elevation from their entire team that you need when you go on a Stanley Cup run. And I think we are a little bit overlooking one important piece for the Vegas Golden Knights, which is Jack Eichel. I mean, he was an Apple machine. I forgot to mention him. Like that's a career defining moment. His first playoffs stepping up most points could have been the conversation for Conn Smythe. I I get March or so, but like Jack Eichel played his, his butt off, man. He was awesome. Yeah. I I think if, If Aiden Hill played in the first series, um, I think he would have been in the Consmite conversation too, which is wild if you if you had presented that to me before this playoff started. Um, Jack Eichel, talking about seizing an opportunity. This is his first playoffs ever. You know? For him to have to have been this good, that's that hats off to him because he's had some tough goes about it in his career, whether dealing with management and and, and all that, you know, with Buffalo you know, being drafted into an awful team and sticking around even through the worst years. I mean, he he got out right before they got good, but he went to the cup winners and was a big reason that they pulled it off. So good on Jack Eichel, man. The the good best on, player from the 2015 draft class, according to Stanley Cup totals. I think we can agree. Good on Jack Eichel. Good on Mark Stone. Good on March. So good on Aiden Hill. Not thrilled about Vegas winning. But what are you going to do? You right? know, I'll throw one more name. Sorry. Good on Ivan Barbashev as well, because he's going to oh be my God, one, of the, one of the prettiest goals in the series. Oh, yeah. Re- like real, So real quick, this I, I know this wasn't a sexy series because of like South Florida and Vegas, but like the broadcast ratings down 43% from last year, least viewed cup since 07, which was Anaheim versus Ottawa. How much of that's just on the NHL for like being awful at marketing and how much of it is that series got lopsided quick? I mean, do you know the game one stats where they like? Were I, they I don't have. Than... I don't have them. Yeah, I, 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 I feel know. like it's not being it... close hurts, but I don't think that it was going to matter too much. Like the NHL just doesn't market its non-hockey markets. I would say, yeah, I put it fifty percent on the NHL, twenty-five percent on the lopsided result, and then another twenty-five percent on ESPN. It um, stinks because this series could have been so good too. Yeah, um, you know, guy, the guy like Kachuk should be on every American sports fans radar but right. only hockey fans know who the guy is you know you'll people non-hockey fans know the name McDavid but do they even know who he is 
I think this I think you know what this is a good conversation that we can save for a summertime podcast because mm. there is a lot to be improved about the NHL's marketing antics. Well, I'll say, we're running out of time, but I will say this. Florida's, Florida's going to be back. Not losing oh, yeah. into the free agents. They, I think, just have to replace two defensemen, a couple forwards, but they are going to be back. And if they're healthy, this run gives them so much momentum going into next season that even when things are bad, they can always look at each other and be like, man, think about what we did last year. Like that's We know that that's in us. The fact that they know that, be scared of Florida next year. Absolutely. And just with that, we have run out of time for this episode on five on three. Of course, I'm joined by Lou Orlando and James Burley with excellent insight. Our producer is Ralph Barbieri putting it all together. And I'm your A-host, Nick Palmer. Until next time, stay safe, guys, and enjoy the offseason.